I'm Tavis Smiley. Delighted to have you uh, tuned into our program today. Uh, in this hour, our final hour, two conversations. On the B side of this hour, the co-host of Entertainment Tonight, Nichelle Turner, joins us to help us unpack some trending entertainment stories, including, of course, the ongoing actor strike, which at the moment shows no sign uh, of abating. Uh, and, of course, we'll get her take on this uh, Jada Pinkett Smith drama. Uh, the only word I can think of is oversharing. It's a classic example to me of oversharing. I don't care. I just don't, I don't want to hear about that marriage no more. It's oversharing, but that's just me. Uh, we'll hear what uh, Nichelle has to say about that uh, and trying to cover it every day uh, on ET. Uh, we'll be, we begin this hour, though, celebrating the Underground Railroad, more specifically the Chicago-Detroit Freedom Trail, on which many journeyed to freedom. Please be joined now by researcher and author Larry McClellan. Larry McClellan, how are you today, sir? Well, doing just fine. Life is good. Life is good, and I'm delighted to have you on. Uh, let me start with this, a, a big question, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump from there. Um, when you think about the Underground Railroad, not just this Chicago-Detroit uh, trail, but when you think about the Underground Railroad writ large all these years later, what most wows you? What wows you about the, the innovative and iconic nature of this path to freedom? Well, I think the, the really remarkable thing, is that, that talking about the Underground Railroad is really talking about two great cycles of stories. Mm -hmm. They're the stories of the people enslaved in the South who sought to seize their own freedom, and then they're the stories of the, uh, the people that responded, mm -hmm. that eventually developed the networks, the Underground Railroad in response. And the thing that continues to, uh, um, I don't know what, astonish me, is to really see the, the depth of the humanity in all of it. That mm. uh, can you imagine people finding the means to just uproot themselves out of their lives in, and, and to seek their freedom, and then to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles? I mean, that, that always... You know, always gets to me. Yeah. I want to talk in a moment about the depth of that humanity. We just literally wrapped an hour. Uh, and at the close of our second hour today, we were talking about the humanity and dignity of our people. And for that matter, of all people. So I want to come back to that. Uh, I love how these dots connect throughout this program every day over three hours. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Before I do that, though, uh, Larry, let, let me come back to the point you raised a moment ago about the people who responded. Because for me, that's always the part of the story about the Underground Rail Railroad that gets me. I, I absolutely understand um, why black folk wanted uh, wanted to, to, to taste freedom. I get that. that, that, that not, that's not rocket science. Uh, I certainly bow down every time I think of Harriet Tubman. Uh, and I tell folk all the time there's a difference between optimism and hope. Harriet Tubman didn't go back 19 times because she was optimistic. She went back because she was hopeful uh, that there'd be a day uh, where these folk could get to freedom and uh, for generations uh, uh, not, not, not yet born that we'd experience the kind of freedom that we have today. So I, I celebrate in ways I don't even have a language to describe the courage uh, of this little small woman named, named Harriet Tubman. Uh, no, no, so there's, there's, there's no question about that. The thing that always jumps out at me, though, to your point, Larry, are the folk who responded. There were a whole lot of folk, a whole lot of white folk, who helped to build and navigate this Underground Railroad. And speaking of humanity, say a bit about those persons who responded and how even in a moment like this, uh, when we see tragedies in this country and around the world, it does, in fact, require somebody to respond. Somebody's got to tell the truth. And if nobody, if nobody tells the truth, if nobody taps into that humanity or that dignity, then that suffering, Larry, gets rendered invisible. Right, right. And I think, I think probably the most powerful thing in all that was that 
uh, freedom seekers coming out of the out of their enslavement, they were, if you will, showing up, and people had to respond. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, here in Illinois, you're traveling for hundreds of miles, and then showing up on someone's doorstep to, uh, you know, they need directions or perhaps some water or food, or they need help with one thing or another, and. I think the remarkable thing is that lots of these uh, in in Illinois and other northern states, the people, a lot of people were generally kind of anti-slavery, but that was an abstract kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But here, when people show up on your doorstep, you respond. And we have just loads and loads and loads of stories of people, in a sense, being surprised by freedom seekers mm-hmm. and then realizing, oh, we've got to respond to this. And then that response starts to organize itself and uh, and then people you know not only do you respond we've got to abolish this this sin of slavery etc yeah. but I think that that and I've actually uh, I've got some examples of of people who were who were basically pro-slavery mm-hmm. living in the north but when a freedom seeker shows up on their door they of course respond they help yeah. Yeah. and I think that it's that kind of immediate contact that really uh, reached into the hearts of a lot of white people and a lot of black people yeah. who were living in the North and said, we've got to help. I want to, uh, when we come forward, I want to come right to that point, talking about what happens when you're faced with it, when it's at your doorstep. Uh, and that's not just metaphorical, although it could be. Uh, but in real time, uh, what do you do? Um, can you recognize the humanity and the dignity of people in front of you when they show up on your doorstep? Take it any way you want to take it. We'll talk about that in the context of this story. Uh, and I want to talk more with Larry about how that those responses, as he put it, uh, organized itself. How did that response organize itself? A great deal more to talk about. Uh, and we'll hone in specifically on that uh, Chicago-Detroit Freedom Trail. We're talking largely about the Underground Railroad all these years later. And what a marvelous uh, uh, creation it was and all the folk, uh, the folk rather, who, who sort of made that happen. Our guest is Larry McClellan. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like freedom. Ready to re-examine your assumptions and expand your inventory of ideas? More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. All right, Larry McClellan, let me jump right in. Um, First, let me share with the audience that uh, Larry's book is called Onward to Chicago, Freedom Seekers and the Underground Railroad in Northeastern Illinois. He's a research and writer. Again, the book is called Onward to Chicago, we're talking, of course, about the Underground Railroad, this intricate network of secret routes and safe houses to help slaves seek freedom in the North and in Canada. Um, so, Larry, you said two things moments ago that I want to give you a chance to unpack for me right quick and we'll move forward. Um, the first is just a pretty basic question, and I love the way you laid it out. So you, you tell the story of those who were, in fact, pro-slavery. But when a slave, an escaped slave, shows up on your doorstep, what do you do? Right, yeah, and I think that 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 really points to the to the to the core of the of the stories, and that is that we need to understand that the the freedom seekers were the protagonists. They were the ones that were on the move. They were the travelers, and that various people responded to them. Some people might have been somewhat anti-slavery, and then they were really willing to help. Other people that were pro-slavery, as I indicated, that, you know, confronted by a person on their front door, uh, decided to help. But the, the key is that for 
basically 160 years. Much of what's been written about the Underground Railroad side of it has to do with kind of the romantic, courageous activity of predominantly white men. Mm-hmm. And what we've got to see is that the, that the protagonists in all this are the people seeking their freedom, and those that responded were men and women and black abolitionists and white abolitionists and all kinds of people that really were confronted by having folks arrive on their farm, on their doorstep, and saying, you know, we have to respond, and then those people start to talk with each other and build networks of responding to these travels. We were talking earlier on our program today, Larry, uh, in fact, just last hour, uh, about uh, the Martin Scorsese uh, epic film everybody's talking about, Killers of the Flower Moon, which uh, which premiered uh, this weekend in theaters across the country. And while many people call it a masterpiece, uh, part of what still chagrins people is that um, he still leans a little heavily uh, on centering white men and and, and their story uh, in his depiction uh, of this book, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Here you come now in this hour uh, talking about the fact that the story of the Underground Railroad as told to date is really about the white men, mostly who did their part to help these Negroes who were trying to get to uh, trying to get to freedom. I hear your point now that it is those seeking freedom who are the protagonists. Let me ask you why it's important to flip the frame at this point in our history. Well, I, I, <clears throat> I think it's important because that is... That is the real depth of it. That's our real history. That, uh, uh, you know, and, and we all know, and, and, you know, we've seen it countless numbers of times, that, that uh, you know, black history matters because it enriches the history for all of us. Mm-hmm. And that, that the, the Underground Railroad uh, traditions are, you know, rightfully acknowledge the, the response and the help of all kinds of people but we really have to be making sure that people understand so that we've got this this full human story that it is people enslaved seeking their freedom that really are the uh, the engine for all of this mm-hmm. and the, the the underground railroad emerges as a response to these people who are seizing what is theirs yep so um if i can put it this way uh, just trying to uh, advance this issue you raised earlier so this is a sort of a, a loose network, if I can use that phrase, and if I'm wrong, you can disabuse me of that when you respond. But this is basically sort of a loose network of people responding to the tragedy, responding to the humanity that they are forced to see when it shows up on their doorstep. But as you put it earlier, uh, this sort of loose network eventually organized itself. Can you explain that for me in the audience, about what you mean when you say it organized itself? Uh, sure. I think that <clears throat> as... Um um, there, are, there are kind of two. There are two dynamics here. One is that that people, particularly in uh, in, in small communities, uh, and also in, in farm areas, as they began to experience some contact with freedom seekers, talking among themselves, realized that this was going to be an ongoing thing, and that they ought to organize their responses to uh, to be able to provide some real assistance to freedom seekers in in cities like Chicago there were small black communities and they very quickly organized themselves to uh, to be able to respond to the needs of freedom seekers coming through and by the late by the early 1840s those networks of response in some places very loose and other places really well organized they began to talk about themselves as the underground railroad mm. 
but uh, but there were places. Remember, there were some freedom seekers traveled totally independently. Others needed assistance from time to time. By the 1840s, in places like Chicago, where there was a very very strong black community, uh, there was a really developed network of assisting people from place to place to place. Mm-hmm. So it ranged from being very loose to being pretty well organized by the the 1840s. Mm-hmm. Give us a sense of what um, Illinois um, uh, policy uh, was like, public policy I'm talking about, was like at that moment. So they're passing through Detroit, they're passing through rather Chicago, but um, there was no freedom in Chicago at that point. G- g- just historically, give us a sense of what was going on in Illinois at this time, of the, the, timing, uh, the time of the Underground Railroad. Right, I think that's a very important consideration in the particularly 1840s and then after 1850 and the passage of the Fugitive Slave Law, which was one of the really great injustices in our national history. But anyway, that it was it was very uncomfortable and very dangerous for any people of color living in the state of Illinois. Uh, the so-called black codes were just very onerous, and the demands upon uh, the free blacks to have you know, identification papers, and they were severely limited in in all kinds of ways, <clears throat> so that the the overall public conditions and legal conditions were very, very onerous, very, very serious. However, after 1850, the the black leadership and the white leadership in Chicago and other places was strong enough that that freedom seekers could move in relative safety. They had to be very discreet, Mm -hmm. but in relative safety. And so in Illinois, and I believe in a number of other places, there was, on the legal side, things were really horrendous. But on the practical side, people were discovering ways to be discreet, but to evade evade the, the, uh, the bad laws. Mm-hmm. Um, you you said something a moment ago, and I'm not going to let you slide by. Some other hosts might let you get away with that, but, but I'm going to ask you to unpack this for me because everybody heard it, and I don't, I don't want to act like I didn't. Uh, furthermore, this okay. pro, this program today seems, Larry, to 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 be about injustices. We've talked about Israel and Palestine. We talked about the Native Americans. We talked about black folk, uh, and here we are talking about slaves, uh, black folk once again. Yep. Um, so you you said. Uh, you made reference and said this is one of the great injustices in American history. You teed it up, but you left us hanging. So back up a few beats and unpack one of those great injustices in American history that you referenced a moment ago. Okay, the, as part of the great compromises in 1850, as they were trying to hold the country together, <clears throat> one of the elements in that was the passage of the Fugitive Slave Law mm-hmm. of 1850. And the components in that law were... were just uh, astonishing the, uh, uh, the 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 blunt support that it provided to slave catchers the uh, the the penalties that it placed upon anybody that was going to assist the folks that were called fugitive slaves uh, it, it created just a very very serious situation with serious consequences if uh, uh, if slave catchers came into your town and you were called to be served on a on a posse, you had to do it. You had that you could run the the possibility of being fined a thousand dollars. I mean, that's like twenty thousand dollars today. Mm-hmm. If you did not, and the federal law said you have to help uh, slave catchers. Mm. I mean, it was just the stuff was just uh, 
It was just awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then that got compounded in uh, uh, 1857 by the passage of the Dred Scott uh, our case, where where the 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 possibilities for for black people, free people, and for enslaved people, you know, just got more and more uh, um, um, limited and curtailed. See, I I knew something, of course, of that law, having studied it and talked about it over the course of my career, but I I couldn't let you slide past that because I wanted to make sure that we're all all on the same page here because I want us to just pause for a second, just pause for a second to Larry's point and think about uh, being told that you had no choice but to help these slave catchers. And if you didn't, they'd fine you $1,000, again, like $20,000 in today's terms, but just think uh, about that, that you had no choice. Even if you were anti-slavery, uh, you were you, you had no choice in being told. It's like being drafted, right? You're drafted. Well, yeah, in a yeah. sense, really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to help these slave catchers. And if you don't do it, you got to find. Uh, such was the level of hatred uh, for black folk in this country that they would make you uh, track these these Negroes down. Uh uh, if and if you didn't, uh, you would pay 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 a heavy 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 fine for that. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad I asked that, and more importantly, I'm glad you answered it with that with that kind of detail. So thank you for that. Let me um let me let me let me let me let me move now to ask you to say more about um this Chicago Detroit Freedom Trail that you are uh, focused on pretty pretty uh, intently these days. Yeah, I mean, we're very excited about this. The, the the key that we've been talking about is that how do we understand that in all of this, that it was the movement of freedom seekers that created the responses, and, and all of these networks developed as a response. And then the, the very serious question comes up, well, how is it that people traveled? Uh, there's a whole set of questions. How do they come out of the South? Mm-hmm. Uh, where did they settle or where did they pass through? And then here in Illinois... Well, well, where did they go? Mm-hmm. And we knew the, the great irony, uh, the only way to be free was to leave the land of the free, mm-hmm. particularly after 1850. And they, to, they had to head for Detroit and then across the river, freedom in Canada. And so a lot of us here in the Chicago region were saying, well, where exactly did they travel? Where did they go? What roads did they use? Who assisted them? And as we've started talking, we've got groups now uh, working together in Bronzeville and Chicago, in the south suburbs of Chicago, in uh, northwest Indiana. We've got groups of people getting to us. Now, what are the places they stopped? What are the roads they used? And we're really beginning to see maybe we can piece all of this together to create a, a uh, national historic trail mm. And that that you may you're aware, of course, that the you know the Selma to Montgomery Trail, sure, which you know commemorates a whole different part of African American history. Mm-hmm. But we're really hoping that the Chicago to Detroit Freedom Trail will help us commemorate the 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 remarkable journeys of folks traveling often by foot, hundreds of miles, yeah. on their way to freedom. Don't they don't they have something in place like this already, Larry? In Ohio, I mean, uh, the, the, of course, the Underground Railroad goes up the Ohio River through the state of Ohio. I, I, as I recall, I, I've been to a couple stops here. I think in Ohio they already have something like this. Do they not? Are you unaware of that? Well, yes, yeah, there are a variety of things around the country that are that are in this direction. Right, where they have uh, uh, you know within some states there are uh, there have been. You know, uh, interstates that have been that have been named as as freedom corridors. There are other places like in Ohio and Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. They have put things together. We think this may be the first 
multi-state okay. effort looking at Illinois, Indiana, and Michigan. Mm-hmm. That, uh, uh, but I've, uh, I think all that we can do to emphasize the journeys of freedom seekers reinforces that um, the kind of remarkable humanity of this whole thing of, of people uh, finding the means to find their own freedom. Yeah. I'm thinking now, um, and this might be my closing question here. I'm thinking I, I grew up, I grew up in Indiana, so I'm glad to know that Indiana is a part of this story. Uh, and of course I love Chicago. spent a lot of time there over the course of my career in life. Uh, love the right. city. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking about all the years uh, I've been in Illinois, and all the times I've glanced down at these Illinois license plates, which have bragged for years about land, the land of Lincoln and <laughs> the land of the free. Uh, and I, I, I take your point uh, that you referenced earlier, which is which just jumped out at me, that for these black folk to be free, they had to leave the land of the free. Is that an irony or what, Larry McClellan? Yes. Yeah, isn't that, uh, I mean, you know, the great irony of that. Yeah. And um, and uh, I think that that again we just can't lose sight of the fact that that uh, you know we have this part of our history that uh, we just really need to look at in as in as uh, uh, full and uh, direct ways as we can because uh, uh, for for a lot of folks it was a very yeah. very hard time. It's an amazing uh, project that Larry McClellan and other Larry McClellan and others have undertaken, working to create a Chicago Detroit Freedom Trail to commemorate the journeys of those who sought to be free. And he is right; uh, he's absolutely right about the fact that uh, that these black folk—they are the protagonists. Everybody else responds to them, but it is these freedom seekers who have to be uh, situated at the epicenter of this particular story, not the white men who did their part to help them, but the protagonists, the black folk who were fighting. Uh, for their freedom. His book is called Onward to Chicago, Freedom Seekers and the Underground Railroad in Northeastern Illinois. Larry McClellan, thank you, first of all, for your work. Uh, I love this project. Uh, Congrats on the book, and thank you again for this conversation. I appreciate your time, sir. Well, I'm delighted to be able to talk with you and and really, really enjoyed the conversation. Likewise. Thank you for your time. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.